gonna be Welcome to Christ the Cornerstone. Whether you're in the building or whether you're watching us online, let's join together and worship Him today. And when I'm in the roughest water, I will
Lord, that you're always making a way. You are always making a way for us, God. Lord, even when we can't see it, Lord, you are making a way. Lord, you are mighty. You are powerful. You are the God that we serve today. So, Lord, we give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory for your mighty power. is watching every gesture of your hand. Waves of peace collapse in your command. I know tomorrow when the pressure rushes in, you'll be
If you know He's a mighty God, would you just say hallelujah? Can we give Him the highest praise? Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for being our mighty God. Is He mighty? He sits high. He looks low. There's none mightier than our God. Amen. And we need to thank Him. We need to just lift up His name. Lift up our eyes unto the hills from which come up our help. Because in these days, brothers and sisters, with all that's going on, even in our capital, with our leaders, we need to know there's a mighty God who's watching over us and protecting us, who is in control. Folks, God is in control. Amen. Hallelujah. And we need to come to him right now as a nation, as a people, and tell him as we humble ourselves and pray unto him, that, Father God, we need you like we've never needed you before. And we're so glad that you're there for us to strengthen us, to encourage us, to take the fear out of us. For if God be for us, brothers and sisters, who can be against us? David said it this way in Psalm 27. He said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He said, The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemy and my foe, came to devour my flesh, they stumbled and fell. And even if a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. He said, if war should rise up against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I might seek after, that I might dwell within the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire into his temple. Why? For in the day of trouble, David said, he will hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle, my Lord shall hide me. He will set me up upon a rock. Brothers and sisters, he's talking about the rock that was made without human hands. He's talking about the rock that we call the rock of ages. The one that the builders rejected. Our cornerstone. Do you know his name? Jesus. Can we say that one more time? Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus of Nazareth. Our Lord and our Savior. Praise God. He's worthy of a praise. Thank you, Jesus. Let us go before the Lord. Only before the throne of grace where God says we can obtain mercy. And find grace to help in times of need. I don't know about you. This is a time of need for me and my family. I think this is a time of need for all of us. Let's go to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to thank you, dear God, for waking us up this morning. You didn't have to do it. Thank you, dear God, for touching us with your precious finger of light. Lord, you have blessed us right there beyond anyone else's capability to bless us. For you are the light giver. And we give you honor and glory. We lift up the name of Jesus and exalt you, Lord Jesus, for doing what only you could do. For bringing us life, as you promised in John 10, and that more abundantly. We thank you, dear God. If there's a people anywhere that lift up your name, that give you honor, give you glory, who bow humbly before the name of Jesus, we here are those people came in early this morning just to be in your manifest presence. 
But your word says there is fullness of joy. And even those who are at home, and we understand everybody can't be here, and we know there's many reasons why. But, Lord, let them feel your presence right where they are, for they have sought you. You said they would find you when they seek you and search for you with all their hearts. And the very fact that they're watching this uh, message proves they've done that. Lord, we love you. We need you. Please bless our church members. Bless all Christianity. And I always ask, Lord, those who don't know you as Lord and Savior, bless them too. Bless them to come to you and to accept you and what you did on the cross for all of us. Yes, all of us. John, what is it, 317 says you came to save the world, all of us. Not to judge, but to save us all. Let them know that. Let that loving kindness draw them to you so that we can all be saved. What your word says is your desire for us. For you want none to go to a Christless grave, separated from our wonderful God. Lord, we just want to tell you today that we're dependent on you. Please order our steps according to your word, your will, and your good pleasure today. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you bless the President of the United States, that you heal him and his wife, that you touch Melania Trump, Donald Trump, and all the others who have just come down sick. Heal them, O God. Heal them in the name of Jesus. And Lord, would you please do that for all of us here today. We have members in our family. Some of us here today are not well, not completely. We need your healing touch. Lord, we need to touch the hem of your garment as we stand in your manifest presence. And that's the ones who are at home too. We ask there, God, that you just stop by here and let us, Lord, reach out to you. Heal us, O Lord. You said that I am the Lord your God who heal of all your infirmities. Heal us, O God. We humble ourselves and beseech you. Lord, we ask that you bless Pastor Roger and Sister Carolyn as they're on their way back pretty soon from their little hiatus, their little vacation. Give them travel mercies, O God. Let them know how much we miss them, how much we love them. And Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you will carry us all of us throughout this week, throughout our lives. Cover us with your feathers, as you say in Psalm 91. Give your angels charge over us, and we will be so thankful. We ask this humbly in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, CTC family. Hey, CTC family. I'm Lynn, and here's this week's news. Membership is an important component in connecting us with one another. We value that connection and are always looking for ways to make that stronger. Our next opportunity for membership at CTC will be Sunday, October 11th at 4 p.m. at the Bear Campus. The membership class will also be live on Zoom. If you would like to be included in this class, please call the church office at 302-836-2862 or email info at ctcde.net. We've been talking for the past several weeks about our upcoming live concert event with Christian artist Jason Gray. If you listen to Christian radio, you're probably familiar with Jason's music. This is a free concert, but we need everyone to register in order to manage our building capacity. There are several ways to reserve your place. Visit Jason's website at jasongraymusic.com, go to our website, ctcde.net, or stop by our Facebook page. Doors will open at 615, and we will be observing social distancing guidelines. For more information on these and other events, 
visit our website at ctcde.net or go to our Facebook page. If you need prayer, you can call the church office at 302-836-2862 or text us at 888-344-1022. You can also email us at prayer at ctcde.net. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. God bless you and have a great week. to have you with us, and uh, we are excited to be here to worship the Lord today. As you heard uh, Pastor Vaughn pray a few minutes ago, Pastor Roger and Carolyn are still out of town. They have taken their daughter Emily to uh, Orlando to move her down there for work, and uh, then they were taking some time off, so they'll be back with us uh, again in the office uh, the middle of this week. So we'll just pray that uh, God will be with them and bring them back safely to us. And uh, continue to give them a refreshing time. Ed and Diane Baker uh, are away uh, for the next couple of weeks, so uh, that's why I'm up here leading worship. So uh, it's just a privilege for me to be up here and to have the chance to do that. So, again, we welcome you and we thank you for being here with us at uh, CTC today. We want to talk just a minute about uh, faithfulness in giving. And we've seen uh, a lot of faithfulness in giving in this congregation over the last several months. And uh, what I want to remind you of today is that we still need that support. Uh, I'm not standing here saying we are uh, desperate for money, but uh, what I do want to say today is uh, we need all of us need to continue to remember that the ministries of the church only move forward and only continue to be supported by the faithfulness of God's people. And his people have been faithful. I do want to commend you on that. But let's just continue to remember that. Uh, again, we're not going to pass an offering basket today. Uh, there are offering envelopes in the lobby if you want to pick one up on your way out and you can drop it off uh, with the office on your way out uh, or you can drop it in one of the baskets that uh, is in the foyer uh, on your way out. Or you can go to our website, ctcde.net forward slash give. And uh, again, set up an account with uh, Secure Give if you haven't already, which many of you have. Uh, you can do a one-time gift or you can do a recurring gift. Uh, either way. Uh, We appreciate your support and uh, know that the faithfulness of God's people is going to continue to carry the ministries of our church. Would you stand with me as we pray and as we continue to worship the Lord today? Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the faithfulness of your people to give and to support and to love and to pray for and to encourage. The staff of the church and, and all of those of us who are associated with the ministries of the church. So, Lord, today, as we celebrate your goodness, we celebrate all that you've done for us and in us. We want you to be glorified and exalted. We pray that you would bless your people today as they give, uh, whether they're going to do it now or later. Uh, Father, we just we trust that you are going to move on their hearts and that we are going to be able to continue the ministries of Christ, the cornerstone because of the faithfulness of your people. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. Let's worship the Lord. Till I lay my head, I 
when you sing of the goodness of God this morning, lift your hands in the air and give them some praise. Because God is worthy to be praised. From the rising of the sun into the going down of the same, he is worthy to be praised. Can we lift our eyes toward the hills from whence cometh our help? Thank you, Father God, for hearing our prayers. Thank you, Father God, for being merciful and answering our prayers. We love you, Father God, and we thank you because our hearts have heard you say, come and pray to me. And our hearts have said, Lord, we are here. We are here in your tabernacle. Father, you sent your only son to bear all of our sin, to bear all of our grief. And it is our privilege to carry all of our praises to you, Father God, because you are a God that is worthy to be praised. It is our privilege to bring our praise reports to you, Father God. But not everyone is waking up this morning in a happy, ha-ha place. Some people have pain. They have grief. They've lost loved ones. Their bodies are infirm. So, Father God, thank you for not only hearing our praises, but for bearing our infirmities, for taking on our pain, for holding us in your loving arms and saying, come unto me. All you who are weary and I will give you rest. Thank you, Father God, for giving us rest. That's a hallelujah moment because you are with us. You are Father God with us. And we thank you, Father God. And as we now prepare to hear a word from you, we thank you for your manservant, Pastor Bill. He's prepared. He's studied. He's willing and he wants to, and we praise you in advance, Father God, for making him able. That word is a word from you, and it's for your children. And as we leave this place, let us be edified. Let us be healed. Let us be delivered. Let us run from this place preaching in our very own ministries, because the body the, the, the body of Christ whether we're a hand, whether we're an eye, whether we're a, a foot, we all have a part. And you want us all to tell the world about the goodness of God. So let us leave and tell others about how kind, how merciful, how loving, how you just lavish love upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Fear is an emotion that grips us and keeps us from climbing higher to where God wants to take us. It keeps us bound. It keeps us from stepping out in faith. It keeps us from truly having hope. It's time we break the bonds of fear. It's time to become fearless. fear. That sounds like an easy thing to do, doesn't it? Again, I just want to say good morning, and you're probably surprised that I'm still up here. Uh, But as you know, Pastor Roger and Carolyn are out of town, so Pastor Roger had already asked me to preach today, and then I found out that Diane was going to be out of town this weekend, so 
Uh, you get to hear me all day. Thank you. It is, it is beyond a privilege for me to be up here. And um, it's been a, I said this last week uh, when I came to do the offering, it's been a while since I was up here and I wasn't sure I would remember what to say or how to do it up here because we've been backstage and, and uh, producing the online campus and putting a lot of effort into that. And, and again, those of you that are watching on our online campus, we love you uh, just as much as we love the people that are in this building and we're thankful for you and uh, we're glad that you're watching us and uh, we pray that, that God is blessing you today. Uh, today is uh, the final part, part four of our Fearless series and I hope that you have enjoyed this series. And uh, it's been a lot of fun for us to do. It's been a lot of fun for us to put together. And uh, it's been a lot of fun for me to hear uh, the different messages. I'm just going to recap kind of what we've heard over the last four weeks. First of all, we talked about fear itself. And Pastor Roger talked a little bit about the fear of God. Uh, There are some healthy fears to have, right? Uh, And fear of God is one of those. I looked up in the dictionary the word fear and some definitions of the word fear. And you go all the way down through some of those definitions and you get down to the bottom. And the one that describes the fear that we should have of God in parentheses before it, it says archaic. So they don't believe that that's a the, the people who are now writing the dictionaries. They don't believe that that's a valid fear. For us to fear God. Now, we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes about how to have a healthy fear and not an irrational fear even of God. Second week, we talked about courage and Pastor Roger talked about Joshua and have I not commanded you be strong and of a good courage, right? Be not afraid. Uh, And then uh, he talked about faith, uh, about how our faith, uh, our fear can handle our faith. So when we walk in faith and when we seek God and and seek to grow in our faith, uh, then our fears can't handle that. And then last week, uh, how many of you were here or watched online for uh, Dr. Matt Ayers? Uh, That was a timely message for the church, not just for this church, but for the church in general. And one of the strongest quotes that I took away, and you, you probably saw it on our social media accounts this week, is too many Christians are fighting the wrong battle for the wrong kingdom. The wrong battle for the wrong kingdom. And when we understand what the right kingdom is, and when we take that energy that we're using to fight battles in the wrong kingdom and put them, put our energies and efforts to the places where we should be, then how much more strong and powerful a force can the church be? Amen? And the church, the world needs a a strong and powerful force. Uh, as Pastor Vaughn was just praying a few minutes ago. So today, again, we've come to the uh, end of this series. And uh, today I want to focus on a passage of Scripture uh, from 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. And uh, it'll be on the screen if you're reading along at home. We're in the New Living Translation, 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Verse 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced the perfect love of God or his perfect love. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the things that it promises us. Thank you for the things that it teaches us. And God, today we pray as we put ourselves in your hands and sit at your feet for a moment that you would speak to our hearts about your perfect love. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we've titled this message, The Power of Love. 
the power of love. There is power in love, isn't there? There's power in love. But would you also agree that there is power in fear? How many of you have had some kind of a relationship? Maybe it's a working relationship and your boss rules with an iron fist. We won't talk about my boss because he might be watching. But he does not rule with an iron fist, I promise you. But people who rule relationships with an iron fist, that's fear. And that's not a relationship of love in any way, shape or form. So there is power in love, but there's also power in fear. Allowing God's unconditional love to fill us helps us grow in his love and not in fear. And that's what we want to focus on uh, over the next few minutes. Now, there's a difference between being afraid and living in a spirit of fear. Would you agree with that? A difference between being afraid and living in a spirit of fear. And I want to illustrate that with a couple of examples. There was a young boy. He's maybe eight or nine. And uh, he was getting ready for bed. His mom was putting him to bed. And uh, he could hear distant thunder. And he knew that thunderstorms were coming. And so his mom came in the room to put him to bed. And he said, Mommy, could you stay with me? Because I'm scared of the storms. And the mom said, no, son, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I can't stay with you tonight. You're, you're going to be fine. I have to sleep in daddy's room tonight. There was a long period of silence. And then the little boy looked up at his mom and said, that big sissy. <laughs> and then there's an example that I want to tell you about that is a little bit that actually happened to me. It's a little closer to home. I was probably 14 or 15 years old. And uh, our family always had a, a vegetable garden. We had a huge piece of property, so we grew vegetables. And one of my jobs in the vegetable garden was I pulled the weeds. And so we were out on a particular Saturday afternoon, and we were pulling, uh, pulling weeds. I have two younger sisters, and as we were growing up, I was terribly, terribly hateful to them. I am embarrassed even to this day about how badly I treated them. And so we were out in the garden on this particular day and, and we were working in the garden and I was doing my usual irritating the daylights out of them. And it would go and go and go until somebody couldn't stand it anymore. Sometimes it was my dad. Sometimes it was my mom. Sometimes it was my two sisters and they would gang up on me. But. This just kept going and kept going and kept going. And at one point, my dad said, why don't you just pick up a brick and throw it and throw it and hit him in the back of the head? Well, luckily, there were no bricks around because I prob that probably would have happened. So we kept on and we kept on and I kept on irritating them. And finally, it was my dad who had had enough and uh, he was digging something. I don't remember. I don't even remember what he was digging, but he had a shovel in his hand. Now, my dad was a big man. He was a football player. He was an offensive lineman. So he wasn't built for speed. He was built for power. Me, on the other hand, I was a little skinny track kid. I was 135 pounds soaking wet at this point, 14, 15 years old. So and I could run pretty well. So he starts chasing me with the shovel. Because he's had enough, right? He's angry with me. So he's chasing me with the shovel. And, of course, I can run faster than him because he's an offensive lineman and I'm a track guy. So I turned around and I said, you can't catch me because I can run faster than you. And my dad, again, he wasn't fast, but he had this big booming voice. And from all the way across the yard, I heard him say, I know where you sleep. <laughs> and in that moment, I was afraid. 
Obviously, I made it through that because I'm still standing here. But we don't have to live in a spirit of fear. Amen? God does not. Would you agree that God does not want us to live in a spirit of fear? Now, I was afraid because of impending punishment. And that's what 1 John 4, 18 talks about. We live in a spirit of fear because we're afraid of impending punishment. But God's unconditional love wants to show us that while there is discipline, there is still love, a love that we can't get away from. So if we can say with certainty that there is no fear in love, we can also say with the same certainty that there is no love in fear. And again, back to the fear-ruled relationships. If you are in a relationship, any kind of situation that's ruled by fear, that is not love. That is control. And that is not healthy. And that is not where God wants us to be. So whether it's the enemy that's ruling in your heart that way and bringing that spirit of fear and control and intimidation and guilt and shame on you, or whether it's some relationship on this earth, you've got to evaluate that. Because that's not where God wants us to be. We talked about healthy fears a few weeks ago, actually in the first uh, week of the series, about fears that are healthy. Fear of God is healthy. Would you agree with that? Right? Fear of God. We'll talk about that again just a little bit more in a minute. Uh, Fear of a hot stove. Right? You don't want to put your hand on a hot stove. Uh, We had our grandchildren last weekend for for the weekend from Friday through Sunday, and it was a blast. Uh, we had we did we were doing a fire pit on Friday evening and our one year old grandson, Arlo, he was fascinated with the fire. So what do you think he wanted to do? He wanted to touch it. And so Mimi had had to keep saying, no, Arlo, that's hot. And he kept going hot, hot, hot. But it, it probably would only take one time for him to touch it. And then he wouldn't touch it anymore because it's hot, because it's a it's a rational fear to have a fear of a hot stove or a fear of fire or something like that. When I go to the ocean, if the red flags are out, I don't get in. It doesn't even necessarily have to be the red flags out because I'm a little bit afraid. In fact, I'm a lot afraid of the water because I can't really swim that well. Everybody in my family goes, oh, you're fine. You're you're fine as a swimmer because I love the water and I love to get in the water at the beach, but I will only go to here because I want to know that if something happens, I can still stand and I... And my head is going to be above the water. So if the red flags are out, I don't get in. That's a healthy fear that I have. Now, when we talk about fearing the Lord and we talk about these healthy fears, we think about uh, like when our kids leave the house, we say one of the last things we say to them is make good choices. Right. You ever say that to your kids? Make good choices as they're leaving. And one of them asked us recently, why do you always say that? Why do you always say that when I leave? Because when you think about making a bad choice, I want you to hear my voice in your head saying, make good choices. And that's the same thing that God wants us. He doesn't God doesn't want to rule us by fear and intimidation, but he wants us to know that we need to have a healthy enough fear of him and discipline and consequences to our actions. That when we think about doing something that we shouldn't do, we hear his voice saying, make good choices. And that's the difference between being afraid and living in a spirit of fear. Healthy fears lead us to make healthy choices in our lives that are not motivated by guilt. The spirit of fear wants us to always live in a spirit of guilt and a spirit of shame. Always. 
And that spirit of fear means that we can never do enough or never say enough or repent enough or give up enough to be in a place where God is going to love us. And that is just not true. Amen. So there are three aspects of uh, this power of love that we want to talk about this morning. And the first is the power of assurance. Psalm 13, 1 through 6, illustrates this really well. Again, from the New Living Translation. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. And then look at verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Now, I want you to look at and think about the words to the verses in, in this psalm. One through four talks about what's going on in David's life. What's going on in his mind? What's going on in his head? What's going on in his spirit? And there is no length of time between verse 4 and verse 5. God didn't just swoop in in the middle of what he was writing and deliver him and David say, Oh, yeah, yeah, well, never mind all I just said a few minutes ago because I trust in your unfailing love because you have delivered me. David was in verse 5 and 6 remembering something that God had done for him before. So even in the middle of where he was, even in the middle of a stinky, terrible circumstance, that he's calling out to God, how long, O Lord? He can still say with certainty in verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love because of what you've done, because of what I've seen you do. That's the power of assurance, not assurance that we will never have troubles in this life, not assurance that we will never do anything wrong again, not assurance that the enemy won't come against us, but assurance that in whatever situation we're in, whatever we find ourselves doing, wherever we find ourselves, God is always with us. Amen. That's the power of assurance. God's love is a warehouse full of assurance. Anybody ever been to Middletown and driven past the Amazon facility down there, down in Middletown? 1.2 million square feet under the same roof. Do you have any idea how much that is? Well, I'll tell you. I'm glad you asked. That's 25 football fields. 25 football fields is 1.2 million square feet. It would take 132 miles of tractor trailers back to back in a row to completely empty or completely fill that warehouse. 132 miles back to back of tractor trailer loads to to completely fill it up. Now, Amazon knows how to keep stock and they know how much of it to keep. They know what to keep because they know what people need. They know what people order. And when you order something from Amazon, you're not going to sit at your house With your hands, wringing your hands, going, oh, gosh, I hope that they have what I need. I hope that they have what I'm going to order because I promise you, they've got it. Have you ordered stuff from Amazon? I'm sure you have. They've got it. They have anything you can imagine. 
And they have a lot of it. Now, imagine God's vast warehouse of assurance. And imagine that in God's economy, 1.2 million square feet is like this big compared to what he has. And that's what he has to offer us in terms of that assurance. It helps us to be assured that no matter where we are, no matter what we need, we're going to get it when we call out to him and when we seek him. And that is the key to finding God's perfect love. And that is the key to growing in it is seeking him. Psalm 34 verse 4 says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me and he freed me from all my fears. I called to I, I sought the Lord. I called on him. Now, let's go back to the Amazon illustration. Now, I've got my tablet right here and I can order anything I want to off of Amazon, but I can't sit on my couch or stand here and by osmosis somehow order something off of Amazon. What do I have to do? I have to seek it. I have to go on their site. I have to type in the search bar. Here's what I want. And I have to look for it. And then I'm going to find it, right? It's the same way with God's love. It's the same way with his assurance. It's the same way with the power that he wants to give us. Is He wants to give it to us, but he wants us to come to him and ask for it. That's all he wants us to do is come and ask for it. I was having a conversation re- recently with one of our children about this whole idea of unconditional love. Unconditional love. Some of us can't even wrap our brains around that because unconditional love means that there are no strings attached. There are no, you know, you download the Apple software and you get down to the bottom and check. I've read the terms and conditions and I understand them. I've never read them. I'm not sure I would understand them, but I always check it because I want to download the software. Right. But there are no terms and conditions with God's unconditional love. And this is what I was explaining to my kid that. There is no there are no conditions to my unconditional love for you. There is nothing you can say or do that will make me love you more or make me love you less. And I'm not going anywhere ever. You're never going to be able to get rid of me. Because that's what unconditional love looks like. There are no expectations. But in order to grow in that love, in order to perfect that love in us, we have to trust it. We have to trust that discipline is not equal to wrath, that discipline is not equal to, you know what, I just I don't love you anymore. And that's what some of us live in that spirit of fear when it comes to God. We're afraid that the next thing that we do, he's just going to kick us out and say. You're gone, I'm done with you, and that's never going to happen. God will never leave us. And he will never forsake us. And seeking him daily in prayer and study is how we get to the point where we perfect that love that he wants to give us. That love that casts out fear. The second thing is the power of focus. The power of focus. And in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1 verse 7, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. Power And love and self-discipline. He's not given us a spirit of fear. So if we live in that spirit of fear, it didn't come from him. Right? It's come from some other outside force. It's come from the enemy. It's come from some thought that we've let fully develop in our brains and let it come to fruition. I want to go back to uh, Psalm 
uh, 13, 1 through 6, because the first four verses of Psalm 13, David talks about, this is how I feel. I feel insignificant. I feel like I'm in the way. I feel like I'm unwanted. I feel like I'm unloved. I feel like that I've been forgotten. I feel like all of these things. I feel, I feel fearful. You can't help how you feel, right? Circumstances make us feel a certain way. But how long we allow ourselves to dwell on those feelings determines whether or not we're going to be able to continue to grow in God's love. So the first part of that Psalm 113, 1 through 4, that's what he was feeling. But verses 5 and 6, that's what I know. Here's what I feel, but this is what I know. I know that God has delivered me before. I know that I have seen his hand at work in my life. I know that he has brought me out. I know that he's delivered me. I know that he's set me free. I know that he's healed me before. So all these things that I see around me, while they get me down and they are an influence on me, I am not going to let it rule my thought life and my thought patterns because here's what I know. What I know is that God is going to deliver me. If you uh, have the Version app, and I hope you do, I hope you're following along with the notes on Version. Uh, there are several scriptures that we're not going to take time to read today, but they're listed in the notes on Version that you can go and take a look at. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, right? Psalm 46, 1 through 3, though the mountains be cast into the sea. Right. I trust in the Lord. Second Peter one, three, second Corinthians seven, nine and ten. I encourage you to go take a look at those passages of Scripture. That's part of seeking uh, the Lord, seeking him and finding him and growing in that love. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to take a minute to talk now about Moses. We're talking when we think about talking about people that are men of faith, women of faith. We think about Moses, don't we? But Moses was a mess. Would you agree with that? Moses was a mess. And I can totally identify with that because there are a few people in my life that constantly remind me of how much of a mess I am. And that's very humbling on the one side, but it's also very sobering on the other side because I am. I'm kind of a mess. James, I'm a mess. If you come into my office, it's a mess. Now, my assistant, Michelle, she tries. She keeps her side of the office really, really nice. But if it's for me, if it's if it's in a file cabinet, in a file folder, in a drawer somewhere, then I'm all of a sudden not working on it. It's got to be in a pile, on the floor, on the desk, so that way I know that it's there and I'm reminded that I have to work on it. Otherwise, I'm not working on it because I'm a mess. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. Pastor Roger talked a few weeks ago about uh, Moses' mother. When Moses was born, she put him in a basket, floated him down the river. Pharaoh's daughter found Moses. Wanted to raise him. So he was raised in Pharaoh's castle, in Pharaoh's house. When Moses was about 40 years old, uh, he uh, witnessed an Egyptian being cruel to uh, an Israelite. And Moses had enough. And he killed him. And he covered up the evidence. And then he had to flee. So for the next 40 years, he was on the backside of the desert tending sheep. So he goes from living in Pharaoh's house to living on the backside of the desert tending sheep to get away from this other situation. But then God had never given up on Moses, right? All that time, God had never given up on Moses because then he spoke to him in a burning bush. And he said, Moses, you're going to deliver my people from the hands of the Egyptians. Moses' response was, you talking to me? 
because I don't see anybody else around here, so I, I think you're talking to me, but you can't be talking to me because I don't speak well. I don't, I don't speak with authority. God said, you tell them I am sent you. So he did, and they came out. They came out of the, the land of Egypt, and then their backs were up against the Red Sea, and Moses had faith to see God part the Red Sea. And then they were in the wilderness, and they were, uh, Moses was up on the mountain, and he was receiving the Ten Commandments. And he was gone for a long time. And so what happened while he was gone? Well, the people of Israel, they were like, well, Moses is gone, and we don't have anybody to lead us in worship or lead us in, we don't have our preachers gone. So we got to figure out something. So they put all their gold together and they made this golden image and they started to worship it. And Moses came back down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. And he was what? He was mad. Moses was the first person to break all Ten Commandments at the same time. Because he was mad. And I kind of can relate to Moses because my tablet is broken. I dropped it this past week and it fell on the tile floor. Boom, just like that. And now the screen has all these little spider cracks in it. So I'm kind of looking around and saying, I don't know if I could see that or not. So I can kind of identify with that. So he had to go back up the mountain again and get another set of Ten Commandments because Moses was mad. And that's another way I can kind of relate to Moses because I, you know, I've I've got this red hair and sometimes I can be a hothead, I guess, because I'm a mess. Just like Moses, just like you, I hope. I hope I'm not the only one. So while they were in the wilderness, uh, they came upon this. They, they were out of water and they needed water. And so God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to speak to this rock. Well, Moses was just really irritated. I don't know if he was mad at God or if he was mad at the people or if he was just mad. If he was just fed up. And instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. Well, water still came out of the rock. If you know that part of the story, but Moses, there were consequences for Moses, right? Because Moses was a mess and he didn't get to go into the promised land. But we think about all these things. We think about all the the dumb stuff that Moses did. And I think about all the dumb stuff that I've done. And we understand that God has never given up on me. I mean, I've done enough dumb stuff over my lifetime where I could very well not be standing here right now. And you probably have too. At least I hope you have. But God has never given up on me and he's not going to give up on you ever. He kept pouring. God kept pouring that love into Moses. He kept trying to perfect that in Moses. And now when we read scripture, we think of Moses as one of the great men of faith, don't we? We look at when we're ranking men of faith, Moses is right up there. Because Moses focused on not what he could do or couldn't do. He focused on what God could do in him and through him. So there's the power of focus. The third thing is the power of declaration. The power of declaration, declaring that, first of all, this power, this love, this perfect love doesn't come from us. He deposits it. He he makes a deposit of his perfect love in us. And then we grow. Pastor Roger gave us a great definition a few weeks ago of the word perfect. When he was talking about the book of James, the book of James, where it says, count it all joy. You know, when you fall into different kinds of temptations, that you may be perfect and entire and not lacking anything. 
Well, how are we ever going to be perfect? Well, we're not ever going to be perfect. But the definition that he brought us is the word perfect that we're looking at in there means that we're coming to a place of maturity in our walk with him. That we are growing and we are allowing him to do in us the things that he wants to do. That's how we that's how he perfects himself in us. Not that we become perfect and never sin again, although that would be really nice, wouldn't it? But that's not going to happen this side of heaven. Gideon. Talking about fear, talking about people being afraid. Gideon, when he was putting his army together, the first thing that God told him when he was starting to pare down his number, he said, anybody who's afraid, tell them to go home. I think like 20,000, 40,000 people went home because they were just afraid. Because they were living in a spirit of fear. Because their thought process, their thought patterns, they had obviously not gotten to the point where they were allowing God to perfect that perfect love in them to cast out all fear. Craig Groeschel, who's a pastor and and author that I follow a lot, and you may be familiar with his writing and his preaching, uh, I read a quote by him recently. It said, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So what we allow ourselves to think on and dwell on the New Testament, Paul talks about think on these things, things that are true, things that are honest, things that are pure, things that are lovely. Think on these things. The Bible also says as a man thinks in his heart. So he is right. Our life is always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What are we thinking about? What are we dwelling on? What are we allowing God to do in us? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? What can they do? Well, I mean, in our earthly thought process, they could do a lot. They could hurt us. They could abuse us. They could kill us. Okay, you want to give me an advance ticket to heaven? Go ahead. Kill me. Paul said to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. So there's nothing that you're going to pastor Vaughn at the beginning of the service. Psalm 27. One of my favorite ones. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Who am I going to be afraid of when the Lord is on our side? Although I have to admit, and my wife is around here somewhere, and she's probably going to say amen, that every once in a while, when I get a piece of news, I immediately become Mr. Worst Case Scenario. Is there anybody else? Any other Mr. Worst, Mr. or Mrs. Worst Case Scenario can go, come with me? Yeah, I do that sometimes. I think we all do to a certain extent. 2 Corinthians 10.5 talks about bringing thoughts, bringing every thought captive, casting down our imaginations, bringing our thought life into captivity. It sounds easy, doesn't it? Just take a big old lasso and wrap it around it. and That's not really how it works, though, is it? That takes time. It takes a process. It takes us working on our relationship with God and allowing him to pour that love in us before we can get to the point where we truly can bring. And I have to be honest with you. I don't have a complete handle on bringing my, all my thought life into captivity. I don't. I wish I did. 
I wish I could stand here today and say, here's three steps to bringing your thought life into captivity because I know how to do it. I don't. All I can do is go back to the scripture and say, God, I know there's a way that you can do this. And I'm just praying that you're going to help me. We often believe and teach that love is this emotion or feeling that we have. And while there are emotions and feelings involved in love, the largest part of love is that it is a choice. It's a choice that we make. We don't fall into it. We don't fall out of it. You fall in a hole. You fall in the bathtub. Hopefully not, but those are things you fall in. You don't fall into love. You make a choice to go into a relationship. And that's what I say to my kids. That's what I say to my wife. That's what I say to, that's what God says to us. I love you because I choose to, not because I'm forced to. And somebody needs to hear that today because somebody needs to know, whether you're here in this building or on our online campus, somebody needs to know that you're not in the way, that you're not a burden, that God loves you, that people love you, and that you are made for a purpose. Amen? But our thought process, our thought process cannot be I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. And I know we think about those things. But we have to know that God, we have to know that we know. We have to know what we feel. And we can't necessarily change what we feel, but we have to know what we know. And that is that God is able to deliver us. And he is able to perfect his love in us. Feelings can come and go. Emotions can come and go. We can't necessarily control those things, but we can control our choices. And when we choose to love God and we choose to love other people, when we choose to allow God to love us, when we choose to allow other people to love us, that's when God is building in us that perfect love that casts out fear. Because there is no fear in love and there is no love in fear. When we can truly live in and receive the perfect love of God, we will not be prone to a life of fear. But we will confidently seek out his purpose for our lives and allow him to perfect that love in us. Casting out the fear, fear of rejection, fear of not being enough, fear of not getting the job done, fear of letting somebody down. You are going to let somebody down. I am going to let somebody down. I probably already have today. But God is not. He's not going to do it. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love, your perfect love that expels all fear. And we thank you, Lord, that you are constantly perfecting that in us when we seek you and when we allow you to. Help us to know, Lord, that there are no conditions, there are no strings, there are no performance requirements. There is just your unconditional love for us. And so, God, we pray that we would allow our thought process to change, that we would allow you to build in us 
the perfecting of that great love so that we won't be afraid. We won't be living in that spirit of fear, but we'll be living in a power, a a life and a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Vaughn is coming to lead us in communion. Pastor Bill for that wonderful message. God bless everybody. We're now about to partake of that most wonderful of sacraments that God has given us to participate in the church. One is baptism and now the communion of the saints. We're celebrating what happened on the cross 2,000 some years ago. The love that God and Jesus and the hovering Holy Spirit showed when Jesus hung on the cross and died for us. Jesus knew that we need to commemorate this, to remember it. It is not to be forgotten. It is a sacred, holy time, probably the most sacred and holy moment you'll have all, we'll have all this month. I feel we are never closer to God on this earth than when we celebrate communion. If you feel the urge to take off your shoes, it's all right. I do believe we're on holy ground right now and the manifest presence of God. I'd like to ask you before we go ahead and commence with communion, that we just all stop, close our eyes, and let's just focus on God. Let's clear our minds of every extraneous thing that the devil is trying to put in our heads make us think about anything and everything but God. As Pastor Bill just said from uh, 2 Corinthians, we have to cast down imaginations and every high fault that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity our thoughts to the obedience of Jesus Christ. So let us close our eyes, clear our mind, clear our hearts. Ask God to search us and to reveal to us all hidden sin or malice in our hearts. Holy Spirit, search our hearts. If there is anything in us not like you, reveal it to us. Any malice, any grudges, any unforgiveness or secret sin that so easily beset us Anything that might separate us from our blessed Savior, take it away. As far as the east is from the west, separate us from that. Lord, shine your revelatory light of holiness upon us today throughout our hearts and souls so that we may give all to you in faith that is not holy, not worthy of you, that can separate us from fidelity with you, O God. We would never want that. Amen. We can open our eyes and let us proceed with our service. Uh, we have communion elements on all of the tables. Your wafer and your also your wine, your juice. Uh, up on the table, of course, we also have our communion bread and also our gluten-free bread, if you want that. We have our wine, also known as grape juice. Praise God. You can think of it as wine. That makes you feel better. 
God knows what it is. He knows what's in our hearts. He says, I know the thoughts of our hearts. That's the most important thing, that we come with a clean heart, pure heart. And if there is something still remaining that we know that needs to be dealing with, at least we gave it to God and have asked his help in doing that. That's all he asks. Just don't come up here cavalierly, laden with sin. Give it to him. Ask him to help you with it. Amen. Praise God. Uh, Graham, would you come over here while we just discuss what Jesus did some 2,000 years ago? On that day we know as the Lord's Supper, when there was uh, uh, going through the Passover dinner, Jesus did something that had never been done before. Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said to the disciples, and he's saying to us also, This is my body, which has been broken for you. This ye do in remembrance of me. In appreciation of my body being broken, shredded, torn apart. The blood pouring out for you. Remember that. Don't ever forget it. I said, surely I will bear your grief and I will carry your sorrow. Yet you did a steamy, stricken, smitten of God. But he said, I was wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquity. That the chastisement of all of our peace is upon Jesus. And by his stripes, we are healed. Don't you just love him? Our wonderful Jesus. Likewise, after they took the bread, he took the glass of wine. And he said unto them, drink this. This is the New Testament in my blood. For the Bible says without the remission, the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you do eat this bread and drink of this wine, you do show my death until I come again. Personally, brothers and sisters, I think we need to do this as often as possible. Daily would be just wonderful. Can you think of God? Can you thank him too much? Can you commemorate what he did too much? I don't think so. And there is healing in this cup. Because it represents Jesus' sacrifice. Isaiah 53, 5, so well depicts it, tells us about it. You ought to read it. Make it a part of your communion services. So we'd like to ask you at this time to come up if you'd like to, and we'll go ahead and serve you. And uh, we do have the uh, gluten-free bread. If you want gluten-free bread, just stand to the side and we'll get to you, okay? And uh, the rest is on your table. And we will just honor the Lord right now with clear hearts, love in our hearts for, for Jesus and for everybody. For God is love. Amen. Praise God. Please come if you will.
God, we thank you for the sacrifice of your only begotten Son, so that we who believe in you and in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your death, your willing death on Calvary's cross, and for your resurrection three days later, so that we can have an everlasting relationship with you, our Lord and Savior and have the promise of eternity with you and our and our loved ones who have gone on to be with the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. That's the assurance he gives us. Because he rose, because he was resurrected, my friends, we will also be guaranteed of likewise rising of resurrection after we die. The loved ones who we have seen pass away, and we've had several lately, Rest assured that as they knew God here on this earth, they are now with him in heaven. As Pastor Bill just quoting Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's our wonderful blessed hope. And one day we will join our loved ones and Jesus. Isn't that good news? Can we give the Lord a good hand clap? Thank him for all that he has done. Amen. We thank him for all that he is. Before we leave, can we, while you got your hands all ready to clap, can you give a big hand clap to our praise group, please? Pastor Bill, his wife, Sister Debbie, and little Debbie. <laughs> and little Debbie, I like that. <laughs> praise God. And, of course, the piano man. God bless you, Chris. We thank you. As we leave today, you may stand. As we leave today, can we just all greet one another with a wonderful cyber hug or a friend of mine calls it a heart hug since we can't get us so close to one another and to take that same glow that same light out into the world remember Jesus said I'm the light of the world but he says we're to be a light also as he reflects his light on us let us shine it on the others so that through our good works Jesus said they will glorify not us but glorify God in heaven because of the goodness the love that they see in us can we do that in Jesus' name, and we're to be unfear, unfearing, right, Pastor Bill? 
God did not give us a spirit of fear. So if you start feeling fear about something that is not normal, you know, some people just go overboard. That's the spirit of fear. Just ask God to take it away from you. I do believe Bill said one of the best verses in the world for that Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he delivered me from all my fears. Keep seeking God. Seek his presence. And his presence is fullness of joy. Now let me commence with a blessing upon the congregation. Not unto he who is able to keep us from falling, and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise God. Please remember we're having a Zoom uh, connection at 11 o'clock real soon now. And we can all come back together and discuss with Pastor Bill the word that he shared with us today. God bless you. And be safe out there, you guys. Love you. Bye-bye. I am not who I once was. My whole life has been changed. I'm never forgiven.